back to the Story of Software podcast. And today we're joined by Nicholas Tanakas, who's Head of Software Development at Digital Automotive. How are you today, Nicholas? Very well, Patrick. And you? I'm doing very well. So we're here to talk about establishing DevOps practices. We're going to talk a little bit about your current company. Before we get into all of that, I'd love to find out what your entry point was into the world of technology. So what brought you to where you are today? Well, it was academia. I was starting at the university, computer science. I thought it was the right thing for me because I felt like I had an affinity with building my own PC. That's simple as it was. But then later on, if you want to see it more professionally, the, the, the first thing I did was uh, work in a research project funded by the EU at the time. From the university, we were trying to find out ways to predict semantic mistakes by developers. So in a sense, we had like the same idea that the people behind the GitHub Copilot probably had. Yes, this, this was the very first thing that I did. It then got a bit murky. I switched into finance and being sort of a, back, uh, a banker. Kept coding on the side and I also used to do smaller things, also run my projects on my own as a side hustle for mainly for accountant offices. <laughs> Very cool. And um, could I ask you a little bit about your experience in, in banking? So you kind of basically took a little bit of a segue outside of technology and into financial services. Was that an enjoyable experience for you? And was it very different in terms of, let's say, the culture of the organizations, how you're expected to conduct yourself? Or what was the contrast in comparison like from your view? This is a very nice question. I haven't <laughs> thought about it that much. But yes, indeed, it is quite different. However, I, I have like this trouble of, comparing it directly because I did m all of my banking jobs in Greece and most of my technology jobs in Germany. So there are a lot more factors that are getting in there. I would say, I mean, the obvious that you would expect that the financial services world is more formal. Like when you work in a bank, you're expected to wear a suit or it was back then still the case that I was expected to go to work in a suit every day. And the IT people not doing that was weird, correct? But this is more of a superficial difference. In essence, the way people treated each other, and I was working for the network administration, they called it. It was quite an agile way of working. Like, if you want, it was a Kanban board. You had your tasks, which could change the moment Someone walked in and said, oh, we have an emergency, total reprioritization. Who is taking this to-do item? So like deep inside, I don't think it's that different. So I, I want to drill into this because I haven't met too many people who've worked as a banker and worked as a technologist. So I, I'm quite interested also to ask you whether there is something from your career in banking that's been particularly useful for you as a technologist. Well, there's one thing these both have very much in common. Like again, outside of banking, you will not expect it, but integrity is a huge thing. So even the smallest lie or being imprecise about something that happened is like mainly weird to most people. It will expect you to say exactly what you mean at face value. This habit has helped me in everything because 
as an IT person, I used to do exactly the same towards the client. And I found sometimes that I got surprised looks a lot of times. People trying to tell them, no, everything is great. The project's running fine. And then uh, the project would run five more years. I was saying, nope, this is not good. And I think this really helped me move forwards quite fast. Actually doing that and not being afraid of the consequences. Well, that's a wonderful place to get to, I think, for anyone in their career. And I've been fortunate enough to work in environments where it's encouraged to tell the truth. And it's wonderfully liberating <laughs> because you can yeah. speak like a baby. <laughs> you don't have to remember stuff. <laughs> you know, that's the problem with lying. You know, I've heard someone say most people aren't don't have good enough memories to be good liars. And that's one of the issues with it. Uh, one thing I would say just in general, if we were to zoom way out and regardless of industry and domain is in the world of business, I've encountered almost no corruption. Like I've like little bits of it around the edge. I, I'm aware of some people that have done stuff that they shouldn't have done. But what's striking for me is if I were to ask the 18 year old version of myself, how prevalent is corruption in the world of business? I would have assumed that maybe I, I know 30 or 40 percent of people are, you know, probably corrupt or doing stuff that they shouldn't be doing. And the reality is a fraction of that in my experience from what I've seen. Now, maybe I'm naive and I don't see the signs, but I, I really struggle to think, you know, I can think of one or two occasions, but again, it, it was second degree or third degree removed. And I'm aware of people and generally it didn't end well for them. <laughs> so I, I'm really struck by as I've gone through my career that the overwhelming majority of people that I've worked with and I've come across are like very professional. Most people are just doing their best. <laughs> it's, uh, that's one of the good news stories about the world, I think. Exactly. I agree. My experience has been exactly the same. I was also not really talking about corruption. I was really talking about those cases where someone would really like the project to go on and would really believe that, oh, we are almost done. Come on. No, we're going to do it. And could not, you know, take this distance and see, let's call everything by name. So this is what I've seen missing a few times, but I would not call it corruption. I would not say that it goes anywhere. I have never encountered like real corruption, like someone trying to, I don't know, take money out of the company's offices or using the company to promote whatever. No, I have never seen that either. And I've, I've been also around quite some high level people, lower level people. I, I haven't had that experience either. Yeah, no, no one's ever asked me for a bribe. Yes. Uh, no one's ever asked me for anything, anything weird. It's, uh, I'm very grateful that that's been the experience I've had going through my career. And as I say, working in environments where it's encouraged to tell the truth. And you're right, you know, corruption and the precision of your message, those are two very different things. But I've also been fortunate enough to work in environments where it's actively encouraged to be precise and to tell the truth. I've mainly worked in consulting companies and I've been fortunate enough to have people around me that have said, we're going to do better in the long term if we tell the truth. So if it's going to take nine months to deliver this project, let's tell the client that. Let's not tell them six and then after six months, ask them for three months of grace. You know, you might as well be upfront and, you know, everything flows a whole lot easier and you build, you know, relationships with people that will last much longer than one project. If you can get to the point where you can be quite precise and accurate on what you're telling people. 
And speaking of accuracy, Nico, let's talk about DevOps. So what does DevOps mean to you? Let's start there. Let's get, begin with some form of definition. In its very basic form, moving development and operations together. Of course, this is a little bit of a naive answer because today, most of the times I see it, it has developed into a term that a lot of time means doing operations in a modern way or give your development and operations department the same KPIs or pretend we have operations <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, it can certainly run a, a fairly broad gamut. In terms of how we might think of it in the context of different organizations, should it look and feel the same in a SME, so smaller, mid-sized enterprise versus a, a larger organization? What's your, your sense when it comes to the topic of scale? There are big differences between a small organization and between a big corporation. A corporation will have very well set in operational procedures that come from a long time in the past. A lot of times they come from regulations and they will also have very specialized functions like a SecOps team or uh, really like the, the traditional SecOps. We are only there as the first line of defense whenever you have a security incident or people that see them like have the sole role of uh, supervising a release process and don't do anything else. They only do that. So these highly specialized professionals who really do not know anything about development and also the developers that probably will know a system inside out that has been operating for the last, I, I had it once like 60 years. So people who have worked 40 years on the same system, which was 60 years old, right? These things you will generally not see in a smaller company. A smaller company will probably not have an IT department. Maybe they have a few people that do operations a lot of times without a formal process, without a lot of documentation or workbooks or all of these nice things that make life easier. With a lot of automation though, and very, very close to development. And there will probably be people that can see both sides of the fence anyway, whether it's 2007 or 8 or 9, whether it is today or whether it was 1990, I truly believe these people still existed. And when should we start thinking about DevOps? So if you and I were launching a business tomorrow, should some sort of DevOps philosophy inform our thinking from day one? Or is it something that can come a little bit further down the track as we kind of evolve, let's say, the technology aspects of our business? I will pull the businessman now out of me and I will say absolutely not. We don't have the money for this. We should do what everybody does know ops, pretend it does not exist because it does not exist. We don't have a product there. We don't have customers that require some very high availability from us. We don't have anything. We are just starting out. We have to make it somehow, especially when you're bootstrapping, right? Quite different if you get a huge investor and you have the money then yes, why not? Let's start from the beginning. Let's get people in that will make it right from the start. Let's talk a little bit about, let's say, organizations that have matured their company. They have a more traditional way of working where there's a segmentation between development and operations, and they want to they get on the DevOps train. So what advice would you give to leaders in an organization like that 
um, so that they can, in sort of a coherent way, change their way of working? First of all, start where you are. So don't try to destroy everything and start building it from the start. This is definitely not going to work. Uh, your people will be against you. Well, number zero, if you want, know where you are. Establish a baseline. Take the DORA metrics. And the first thing you should do like before you actually start doing anything uh, on DevOps, measure where you are. Establish a baseline. You can report to other people, all different stakeholders, because this is an organizational change. And a lot of people will feel uncomfortable with what you're trying to do. And some of them will join you in the beginning, but then they will be insecure as well. So you have to have a way to tell them beyond any doubt, we are moving forward. This is forward. And here's proof. It will make your life a lot easier. If you try to just start doing things in this way, all failures that will inevitably happen will just make it look like the good old days were better and maybe we do not need this initiative. The other thing is understand that it will probably not make sense for a lot of years to change the organizational structure. You should try and change the way people interact with each other. Bring them closer, give them the same KPIs, give them the door metrics, say everybody is responsible for all of this. Think about how you can contribute to this but do not just start taking them away from the team where they have been happily working for the last 15 years. You will probably end up with people quitting. Like I, I have done this mistake, I have to admit, in my enthusiasm and with people that wanted to follow uh, star performers, they said, yes, let's do it. But then they found themselves in a team where they were not happy anymore. Like These are the tougher aspects you have to consider. Don't lose sight of your people. Establishing or introducing DevOps, well, DevOps is still a process and like people should be more important on the process. So I, I guess if you're making the shift towards DevOps, there's a technical component and there's a behavioral or cultural component. If we were to focus on the latter for a moment, what are the behaviors that would characterize an organization that has effectively embrace the DevOps culture? Are we talking about things like radical transparency and radical candor? How would you describe the behaviors of a high-functioning DevOps culture? Yes, radical candor and, of course, radical transparency, definitely something that you will see, at least among the technology people, it has to be there. And this is where you should start if you don't have this as a general component in your organizational culture. At the same time, a behavior that will have to change is you will have to try and make your developers look a bit further than the sprint or than releasing it. And you will have to make the development people look a little bit thinking of change, not as a threat, but as a chance. So these are the two behaviors that have been there for quite a long time. And I think I'm not saying anything new, like, but this is still, if you do that, if you can do that, a lot of the other cultural problems will just dissolve because everybody will start feeling like they belong to the same tribe and then behaviors will adjust on their own. And Nico, do you think that there are organizations for whom 
the DevOps approach is just not suitable and they should, you know, stick with something more traditional and segmented. It depends on what you think of as DevOps. Is, is the SRE approach a DevOps approach? If that is also a DevOps approach, then no, I don't think so. I think a lot of what DevOps has done is a natural involvement of agile software development. And if you're just looking at bringing those people together and having them work more closely, I do not think there's a one use case where it doesn't fit. Well, maybe, as I said in the beginning, no ops might be an option. If you are bootstrapping, if you are trying to just get going, then you should not focus that much on operations. Then you should really first ignore it until you have something to run. In this case, yes, but everything else, no. As with every other department in a traditional company, right? Bringing development and operations together to work more closely, this is a fantastic idea. It's the same thing that agile software development did with developers and and, and, uh, business stakeholders. Bring them together, get them in the team, get them working on the same objectives. If we were to chart the historical inflection points of the DevOps movement, so to speak, are we talking about the 2010s when the kind of broad adoption of DevOps started to come into place? Like, what are the timelines we're talking about? Because for me, it was sometime around kind of 2013, 2014, when I started to hear more and more of organizations embracing this way of working. Now, that's not to say it wasn't already gaining purchase on before that. So how do you think in terms of the history of this? Well, the first time I got in contact with that was through a book, The Phoenix Project. And that was, I think, 2015 or 2016. So this was like, for me personally, a very important moment because a lot of things became started becoming clear and starting fitting in the puzzle. And I was thinking a lot about software and architecture and the business side and how do you work, do you bring everybody to work closely with each other? And then operations was just a thing on the back that it, it was happening. It wasn't worth some notice. Like even if you look at the curriculum of uh, universities, you don't get taught a lot about operations. Yes, you get taught about networking and here and then stuff, but about how operations work in a company, you know, this was a subject that was not worthy. I think for me, this was the point where this started to change. There's a whole science behind it. And I realized, and I had like a sort of epiphany and I got really, really excited about it. And I didn't call it anything in the beginning. I didn't call it DevOps or anything. I just told people, hey, let's just try working like this. Let's just not ignore those colleagues there. I mean... Even if they are sitting in the basement, which I hope is not happening. Nico, let's talk a little bit about security. So could you take the view that an organization that has properly embraced DevOps culture is more secure in how it builds and delivers software? Or is that not necessarily the case? So how do we kind of separate out, let's say, security from DevOps? Let's think about that in an example, right? I have a security department that's working. I have an operations department that's working and a development department that's working, but they're not working that well together. Now, if I just take away this hindrance and they work better together, then of course it will be more secure. Now, let's take a bit of the opposite example. I don't have anything in terms of security because I'm doing DevOps and that's fine, right? So 
I let security slide, I'm thinking that the development and operations people are just somehow going to take care of it. And maybe I use uh, some static code analysis tool to look at security flaws, but then, and maybe I am training the people that are more on the ops side to say, hey, look, do we have the latest patches installed and everything? Do we make backups? Yes. This will bring me a long way, but it will not necessarily put me in a position to react to a security threat. So security is a part of operations and you need to take care of it. Just doing DevOps will probably put you in a better position if DevOps works for you or if you have gotten the gist of it, but it will not solve all the problems and it will not be enough in today's world. I like saying DevSecOps by now. And like whenever we are trying to recruit someone, I do insist that we say, no, no, it's a DevSecOps engineer. We expect people to know about security or be willing to learn. And yes, I will ask what is red teaming in an interview. And like if someone cannot answer in that level, then how can you take care of security as a DevOps engineer? And with your developers in a DevOps environment, do you think it helps move them towards a more security conscious mindset because they're part of that DevOps culture? Definitely. But again, in on the development side, there's also a lot of automated help, which exists more and more in on the operation side, especially with AI coming up more and more. But the developers need to understand different things generally about security. They need to understand how do I prevent an SQL injection, for example. Do I sanitize every string? Or uh, do I look at the biggest security threats right now? This should be something they do. On the operations side, most developers do not have the skill set yet. I would love for it to be that way, but I'm happy to start like when, when you're trying to show a developer the operations world, you generally don't start with security because this scares a lot of people, like especially not security operations and how you're dealing with what do you do when you have an alert, right? How do you react? It's scary. It's suddenly, you know, oh, I make decisions here and that could cost a lot of money. I think they need time to adjust to that thought. But of course, the more someone learns and the more they are just not thinking and of what they do every day, this is profitable for everyone. Like uh, the developer grows as a person, the company profits from people who think of security from the beginning, which makes hardening a lot easier in the end. Nico, you, you touched on AI. So what do you think the impact of, you know, this flood of new innovation in AI is going to mean for DevOps? So have you thought about the specifics and what might happen next, let's say over the next six months or one year? Well, of course, a lot of people are now thinking about text generation. I don't know. I haven't thought about a lot of use cases in, in that, but AI in general, like the first thing, predictive maintenance. This also exists, right? And it's quite easy to do if you're still running VMs, have some sort of predictive maintenance or at least some automated alerts that are not based on, oh, I'm now using more CPU or even else statements, just on patterns a neural network has been trained on. Then, of course, in the security space, a lot of things can be automated where you would need a team of 
many professionals that know their way around the smaller parts of everything, well, you can make their life a lot easier by using AI to automate threat intelligence, for example, right? Also, this is happening and more and more people are adopting it. We have it. We do that. So, yes, it will change everything in many ways. I cannot imagine every way today, but I am seeing it that it fits together. It will also make everything more dangerous because it will definitely lead to more sophisticated attacks by many more people who do not possess deep knowledge. Yeah, we are living in interesting times. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Nico, my final question is, are there sources of learning that you can recommend for our listeners? So books, podcasts, uh, web resources. So what are the things that you turn to to help you evolve as a leader? I'm a bookworm, so I will definitely talk about books here. If you're asking about leadership and about how to think of all these things for someone also who's coming from a development background, right? One classic book I would always recommend to start understanding how most business people are thinking as a Blue Ocean Strategy from Chang Kim Rene Mubong. Hope I'm pronouncing this right. And the other part of being a leader is also looking inward. And then I would suggest the new personality self-portrait from John Oldham and Lois Morris. These are two books that, like, I, I, I can, of course, like, suggest a lot more, but these two are helping a lot to understand the organization, to understand yourself, to understand others. Fantastic. Well, Nico, I just want to say thank you so much for your time today. It's been great talking to you and, and learning from you. So I really appreciate you joining us. Thank you, Patrick. The Story of Software podcast is a Zartis production brought to you by Adnan Tuchar, Lariana Fantoni and Evan Sheehan.